I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us this morning. We ask you every week and we trust that you are a promise keeper and are here in our midst. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask this in your son, our savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year before a new church year starts next week, the first Sunday in Advent. Yes, you heard me correctly. Advent begins next week. Uh, But Christ the King Sunday is one of those feasts that comes around every year, like the Transfiguration or Easter or Christmas. So it can be a special challenge for a preacher. The rest of our readings are on a three-year cycle, so I can trust that most of you will have forgotten what I said about some parable or Old Testament narrative by the time it comes around again three years later. Christ the King, though, I just preached on that last year. This is all very funny, by the way. This is, this is where you should be laughing. Uh, the people who put out our lectionary, though, that cycle of three years, the cycle of suggested readings, do give us an assist on Christ the King Sunday. There are different readings assigned for each year, different emphases in the text. In year B, for instance, the, the three years are called A, B, and C. In year B, you have the last words of King David. Recorded in 2 Samuel, looking ahead to a new and better ruler for God's people. A ruler who in time, of course, will be revealed as Jesus Christ. Christ the King. Also assigned in year B are John's vision in Revelation chapter 1 of Christ on his heavenly throne. And Pontius Pilate asking Jesus in John chapter 18 if he is king of the Jews. Pretty hard to miss, right? Christ the King. In year C, we're actually offered two gospel readings to choose from. First, Luke chapter 19, King Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with the crowd shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Or we can read Luke 23, in which we have a very different image of King Jesus. In this text, we have King Jesus on the cross, wearing his crown of thorns, offering forgiveness and eternal life to a repentant thief. So we have a couple different visions of what it might mean for Christ to be the king, but in all of those readings, we are unmistakably talking about Christ as king. Today, however... We're in year A. This is the last Sunday of year A, if you're following along. Uh, Today, our readings seem to be slanted in a slightly different direction. We have Ezekiel chapter 34, in which God casts himself not so much in the role of king, but of shepherd. And then we have Matthew 25, which starts with Jesus on the throne, separating sheep from goats, but then totally overwhelms that setting in our minds 
with the parable that he tells about people who in their caring or not caring for the least of these, those in need of food, drink, care, and visitation, are actually caring or not caring for Jesus himself and who reap their deserved reward one way or the other. So, are these the right readings? Are we, are we on Christ the King Sunday? Was some mistake made? We have a shepherd and a story about commanded justice. What do these texts have to do with Christ the King? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that these two pieces of Scripture do as good a job at describing Jesus' kingship as those more traditionally Christ the King readings do. We're going to see that Jesus is, as these texts point out, the holy, good, and perfect King, worthy of obedience, worship, and praise. And he is the beaten, bloodied, and dying king, accomplishing the salvation of sinners. We're going to be given that same message this week, just with a slightly different illustration. Today we're going to hear that same story, but with Jesus on the one hand as the justice-demanding Lord in Matthew 25, and the Good Shepherd in Ezekiel 34. But this idea, Christ being king in two very different ways, even seemingly opposed ways, can be confusing. And for years and years in my Christian life, before I had the language to even explain why I was confused, I was confused about this very thing. And for me, it took the form of being confused about one piece of scripture in particular, Ironically, one of what we call the comfortable words that we say every single week after the confession and absolution. You'll hear them here in a few moments. It wasn't comfortable for me. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's Matthew 11, chapter, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And to me, it just sounded impossible. Jesus saying, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, sounds crazy. I mean, it sounds good at first. I wanted it to be true, but I figured that anybody who had anything going on between their ears would know that this couldn't possibly be the case. It just was so clearly contradicted by so many other passages in the Bible, I thought, and not coincidentally by the true things that my youth ministers and preachers were telling me. Things like, to follow Jesus, I had to be good, loving, honest, pure, that I was to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. All of this felt to me like a heavy burden, not a light one. And if Jesus is supposed to be one kind of king, 
It's confusing. It doesn't make any sense. How can he say my yoke is easy and then make all of these demands of us? I didn't have to look any further than passages like this morning's gospel lesson to prove what I thought was my point. I can't read Jesus' parable here in Matthew 25 without coming away feeling burdened. Jesus seems to be trying to put the fear of God into his listeners. The fear of God is a phrase, but I think Jesus is doing that literally here. It's like he's trying to make people afraid. He's doing the furthest thing from welcoming the weary and heavy laden. He doesn't seem to be offering rest. He's giving people a job to do, a good holy and righteous job to be sure, but a job nonetheless. When I read this story and passages like it, I inevitably remember all the people standing at the street corners who I haven't helped. I drive past them in town all the time, and every single time I think of Jesus' parable here. And like most people, I have all sorts of rationalizations for why handing out cash isn't a good idea and how the problem needs to be addressed at a systemic level and the different and supposedly complementary roles of government, church, and family, and so on. But all rationalizations aside, that person is a placeholder for Jesus. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. There is no wiggle room in this sentence. I don't mean to condemn anyone this morning, and I hope that we all hear passages like this and redouble our efforts to care for the least of these. And to be sure, there are probably better ways, certainly better ways to do that than by handing out cash on the street. All I'm saying is that passages like this don't fill me with comfort. They're not intended to. They convict me. They exhort me. They show me what a good and righteous life looks like. But they don't feel like a lessened burden. They feel like an added one. And of course, Jesus isn't nearly done here. Elsewhere, he tells me not to look at a woman with lust in my heart. He tells me not to be angry or think someone a fool. He tells me to be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And all of that is just in the space of a couple sentences in part of one sermon, just part of the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew chapter 5. How is it possible to understand this Jesus with all of these good, righteous, and holy demands as the same one who claims to be a light burden and an easy yoke? A Jesus who invites the weary to come to him for rest. Well, the way to understand this seeming contradiction is to understand that Jesus, the Jesus who demands things like justice and purity, the Jesus who is the Holy King worthy of obedience and worship, is just one side of the story. Jesus, remember, is the word of God, and God speaks to us, not in one way, but in two ways. 
And Christ the King Sunday is one of the times when we see this most clearly as we interact with a Christ who is king in two ways. The holy, good, and perfect king, worthy of obedience, worship, and praise, and the beaten, bloodied, and dying king, accomplishing the salvation of sinners. This then is not a contradictory Jesus, but a Jesus who is king over commandments and promises. Jesus can be king in two ways because God speaks to us in two ways. He says two things to us. He has two words, as theologians like to call them. He speaks to us in commandments. Yes, he certainly does, like visit the prisoner. But he also speaks to us in promises, like I will give you rest. Commandments and promises, things you must do and things that have been done for you. And it's only in understanding the distinction between the two commandments and promises and the fact that there is a connection between them that Christ the King embodies both, that God and his word, which is Jesus, embodies both commandments and promises, that this can really make sense at all. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, St. Paul has a little couplet that helps us to understand the interaction between these two words. First, the commandment. The law, Paul says, came in to increase the trespass. Then the promise. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In light of God's two ways of speaking, commandment and promise, let us consider our word from God this morning as we celebrate Christ the King. Now, from our perspective as sinners, the story of the people who do and don't care for the least of these serves to remind us of our sin, to shine a spotlight on the truth of our lives. It doesn't offer us comfort because it's not intended to. Instead, like Paul said, it increases the trespass. We hear it, and every time we stepped around someone, or avoided making eye contact, or thought less of someone because of their circumstances, all of those times are brought up into our minds. We are convicted, and I mean that in the old school courtroom sense of the word convicted, where the gavel has come down and the judge has rendered his guilty verdict. But that's not all that's happening here. That is happening, but it's not all. Because this story about a God who speaks to us in two ways, whose word is Jesus Christ, this story is also a celebration of Christ the King. Because why is it that we are expected to care for those less fortunate than ourselves? It is because that's exactly what Christ the King has done. We are expected to do justice and love mercy because that's who Christ the King is. He is the one who always feeds the hungry, always provides drink to the thirsty, always clothes the naked. 
He is the one who never fails to welcome the stranger, who always cares for the sick and always visits the prisoner. It is a holy requirement of us because it is always true of him. So Christ the King is holy, righteous, and perfect. He is worthy of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of obedience. And that and is the glorious good news of Christ the King Sunday because Jesus is not just the royal king who demands righteousness and obedience. He is that king and he is that king and he is the good shepherd. And he is the word of God who speaks to us who fall short of his expectation, who crumble before his requirement. Jesus is the word God speaks to us, those of us who tend to keep our food and drink for ourselves, who rarely welcome the stranger or visit the prisoner. God has a merciful word for us. Christ the King and grace abounds. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the watercourses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. This is good news for lost sheep, for burdened sinners, for the self-centered, for the enemies of God, for you. This is the other face of Christ the King. Peace and comfort for wandering sinners, a welcome home. And so we have a Jesus with two faces, a king with two crowns. He is the almighty king with the jeweled crown who commands us to care for the least of these, to do justice, to love mercy. He does this because that's the kind of king he is. He does justice. He loves mercy. This is the king of commandments, good, righteous, and holy commandments. And this is a king of mercy. And the chief way he shows his mercy is by setting aside that jeweled crown for a crown of thorns. By not regarding, as St. Paul said, his lofty status as something to be exploited. No, 
Instead, he lowered himself, becoming a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Who lays down his life for the very people who fail to uphold his commandments. This is a king of promises. This is a king who lays down his life for you and for me. And our king isn't done. There are more amazing things to come. Christ the king is not through with you yet. This thorny crowned king who lowered himself even to death on a cross has brought our sinfulness onto that cross and down into the tomb with him. And then when he was raised to new life, he raised you to new life with him. And now, as new creations in him, a miracle happens in us. We hear about the holiness of God and are no longer afraid. We can love our neighbor. We can care for the least of these. We can do justice and be merciful, not out of our own strength, but on account of the new life we've been given in Jesus Christ. Here is this miracle in one sentence. In the resurrection life, the commandments have actually become promises. We will feed the hungry. We will care for the needy. We will visit the prisoner. And why? Not because we have become good, but because Christ the King is actually alive in us. So... We celebrate. We celebrate Christ our King. Jesus Christ, the cause of our celebration, the object of our worship, is the Word of God. He speaks commandments and promises. He is holy and merciful. He is perfect and forgiving. He is truly Christ your King the Holy Son of God, and the scourged and pierced Lamb, Savior of the world and author of eternal life. He has come from throne to cross to rescue you. Amen.